Listener production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Monday the 28th of June. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Annika Smethurst. And Annika, last time we spoke, uh, last Wednesday... Life was very different. Yeah, I had more restrictions in Victoria than you did, Tom, but I'm happy to say I actually got out of Melbourne for the weekend. Mask rules are coming down a little bit here, but that's not quite the case for you. If you tell me you went skiing, I'll be very (laughs) angry. (laughs) Didn't quite make it to the slopes, but I did make it to beautiful Echuca on the border for a little getaway because my holiday a few weeks ago to the Great Ocean Road was actually cancelled. So I do have sympathy for you. It's really, really tough. And for everyone in New South Wales. Uh, it's great you got back to Chuka, the old hometown. Um, yeah, a lot changed um, towards the end of last week, obviously. Um, lots of people in Greater Sydney have had to cancel plans, myself included. And I guess there's this funny dynamic now between <laughs> I feel Sydney and Melbourne people where there's sympathy and a lot of Melbournians also just holding back that schadenfreude. And I would say to you, if you're listening from Melbourne, fair enough. I can understand. <laughs> I do not share that view. I've lived in uh, two cities now during this time and I feel sorry for anybody that has to go through this. I was trying to organise a wedding during it, so I have mm. a huge amount of sympathy for people that have had to cancel plans, but it does get better, believe me. <laughs> That's a very positive message. Yeah, we'll see how it applies in Tokyo. We're talking about the Tokyo Olympics today. It kicks off in a month, but polling shows the majority of Japanese people don't want it to go ahead. So in this briefing, we're actually going to speak to Japanese locals and find out how they're feeling. I wish for the Olympics to give us hope and make us feel like we are still closer than we think. Thousands of people will be mingled in some way at the Olympic place. So probably the case will be increasing. How the Japanese people are really feeling about the Tokyo Olympics in just a moment. First, here are today's headlines. Darwin has joined Sydney with a snap lockdown and restrictions have been reintroduced in a number of other cities as Delta variant cases spread across the country. The Northern Territory is now facing its biggest threat since the COVID crisis began. That's Michael Gunn, the Northern Territory Chief Minister. His government implemented a two-day snap lockdown yesterday afternoon in Darwin following confirmation of four new cases linked to a gold mine in the Territory. The cluster originating from the mine in the Tanami Desert has sparked concern in other states as well, with FIFO workers from the site testing positive in both New South Wales and Queensland. Western Australia has reintroduced mask rules indoors and limits on gatherings yesterday afternoon in the Perth and Peel regions after a Perth woman uh, tested positive for COVID after returning from Sydney. Extreme measures implemented quickly are the right approach. And I know a lot of people don't like that. Uh, But if it gets away from you, um, it can cause hell. WA Premier Mark McGowan speaking there overnight. In Queensland, new rules on visitor numbers and venues are starting this morning after two people were confirmed to have caught the less infectious alpha COVID variant. And Sydney, Wollongong, Blue Mountains, Central Coast are all waking up to their second day of a two-week lockdown. And Annika, obviously the, the border restrictions are fairly complicated with different states making different decisions. Can you give us a quick summary? Yeah, and it's school holidays, so this is going to affect a lot of people. South Australia and Western Australia have actually closed their borders to New South Wales, Queensland and the Northern Territory. And Victoria, Queensland and Tasmania will force people who have been to red zones in New South Wales to quarantine on arrival. So check your website before you leave. 
And Labor's hit out at the federal government over the New South Wales lockdown and the spread of the virus from Sydney, saying they haven't done enough to roll out vaccines and secure quarantine arrangements. The Morrison government have had two jobs this year and they've failed both. And this lockdown is a direct result of that. Federal opposition leader Anthony Albanese speaking there. Labor has also criticised the government for being too beholden to their junior coalition partner, the Nationals, after Water and Resources Minister Keith Pitt was demoted from Cabinet. The decision was revealed by new Nationals leader Barnaby Joyce yesterday when he unveiled the party's new front bench from a pub in his electorate. He's denied the suggestion that the Nationals aren't giving enough prominence to the water portfolio and says Minister Pitt will continue to work effectively away from the Cabinet table. What do you make of that reshuffle, Annika? Uh, the reshuffle is directly who voted for him and who didn't. But it was always talk Keith Pitt actually did vote for him, but maybe he switched his vote a little bit too late. Darren Chester, a popular Veterans Affairs Minister for the past few years, has also been dumped, and that's because he supported Michael McCormack. I saw some commentary that he could potentially run as an independent. He has a lot of local support. Do you think he might do that or do you think he'll stay with the Nats? It's been talked about for a while. It's not the first time he's been dumped. He's never been close to Barnaby Joyce, but he said he's staying as a Gippsland MP. He probably would be popular if he joined uh, either the Liberals or sat as an independent, but I think he'll stick with the National Party on the backbench for now. And Daniel Andrews has shared a video where he and his wife tell the story of his injury and recovery as he prepares to return to his role as Victorian Premier today. Felt like an eternity because I sort of couldn't breathe. I could only the most shallow breaths in and out. It was awful because you were going blue and I was thinking, you're going to die. Kath and Daniel Andrews there. Look, Andrews has been on medical leave since early March after suffering broken ribs and vertebrae following that fall. Andrews said the incident took place at a holiday home in Sorrento near Melbourne and used the social media video to hit out at rumours he was injured under different circumstances. And we've seen some, you know, some really vile stories being put around about what happened. Politics isn't always like that. Yeah, it's an interesting video. He's obviously addressing some of the conspiracy theories there about what really happened. But I imagine people who are sceptical would look at that carefully curated video and it, it sounded like a TV interview, but it wasn't. It was a piece of media that they put together. So I imagine for those people, it doesn't really answer their questions. No, it definitely was, um, I guess, an ad. And this is uh, what we can see politicians and celebrities do now. They don't need the media. They uh, can put out this stuff directly on social media, which is what Daniel Andrews chose to do last night. It actually caused a bit of an issue, Tom, because uh, the age where I work had been offered an interview, but they said they'd only go ahead and do it with one journalist, and that being John Fain, who works for us as a, a columnist, not so much as a journalist. He was a prominent uh, radio host down here before he switched to us. Uh, we refused to do that, so he took the interview to the ABC, and after the video went up, um, they pulled it too, saying, well, there's no need to have an interview given all the information came out in that schlick ad last night. Yeah, it's a very um, strange situation with the way he's, you know, he, the media appearances around his comeback are, are happening. All this controversy about the age not wanting to be dictated to, about who did the interview, because it was probably either going to go to you or one of the other senior reporters at the age. So it hits home. You're mentioned in the Australian newspaper about this today, um, for anyone who hasn't read the paper yet. But um, 
Yeah, it just sort of feeds this, I guess, question about the media management and why they're doing it like this. It was very heavily managed. Uh, Eventually, though, like all politicians, he will have to stand up and ask questions, which we're expecting to happen today. Apparently, we'll be doing a media conference. So that's the time when you actually can't curate these sort of things. Mm. And I imagine there'll be lots of questions asked of the Premier. Yeah, and I guess... All that aside, he's obviously been through a a tough injury in a very tough time, so it is good to see someone recover and and get back to work. He also did pledge that he'd be running at the next election, which will be next year, and he's running to win. The New South Wales Blues beat Queensland 26 to nil in last night's second state of origin, which means they've won the series after thrashing the Maroons in Game 1 in Townsville. New South Wales coach Brad Fittler said his team used groundbreaking tactics... (laughs) It's funny to hear the coach saying that. Um, obviously, <laughs> tactics he had a hand in. They scored 50 in the first game and they looked fantastic and scored some brilliant tries and played a totally different brand of footy that we've seen before. The home crowd advantage in Brisbane last night or the rescheduled Townsville game clearly wasn't enough. The NRL is now said to be looking for a new venue for this third and final game of the series, maybe back in Melbourne, which was meant to be held in Sydney in mid-July, but could be thrown out due to the COVID outbreak, Tom. Yeah, and the Wallabies were meant to play France in Sydney next week as well. That game's being moved to Brisbane as well. So yeah, lots of disruptions and it sort of feels like Melbourne lost some games, Sydney are losing some games. It's kind of like evening out. I guess Brisbane seems to be the winner out of all this. They can always get a tazzy too. I had tickets for the first Origin game that was cancelled, so we're happy to take the third one back. And rescuers are continuing to search for survivors in the rubble of that collapsed apartment building in Miami. The confirmed death toll has risen to nine overnight and search teams are still working through the wreckage with more than 150 people still missing. Wow. And meanwhile, officials have released an engineer's report from 2018 that found major structural damage beneath the pool deck and concrete deterioration in the underground parking garage of this 12-storey building. So we'll keep watching that news as it unfolds. All right, just after this message, we're going to take you to Japan to hear why locals are torn about the Olympics going ahead. Um, They've only just got their fourth and biggest wave of COVID under control recently, but they're still seeing between 1,500 and 2,000 COVID cases a day. July 23, that is the date that the rescheduled heavily COVID-impacted Tokyo Olympics kicks off. So this is actually the music from the Sydney opening ceremony in 2000. And after this countdown, a guy rode in on a horse in a dryzer bone. Wow. To 100,000 people in a stadium at Homebush. (laughs) Well, that's not going to happen in Japan, is is it? Absolutely not. No, in just over four weeks... Thousands of athletes are going to be pouring in from around the world. They'll head to Japan and they're going to stay there until the 8th of August. Even with the massive COVID restrictions in place, which include limited movement of athletes, constant COVID testing, no international spectators and 10,000 person limits on local spectators, um, the majority of people polled in Japan don't want these games to go ahead. No, and, you know, poll after poll will show this. Uh, One poll from last month, for example, showed that 80% of people polled either wanted the games to be cancelled or postponed. 
Yeah, there have even been several protests、um, on the streets of Tokyo, including one just last week where hundreds of people demanded that the Olympics be called off for fear that they are going to spread COVID in the country. And yeah, this is a country with only 7% of its population vaccinated. Yeah, that's not good news. Adding to that, already two members of the Ugandan Olympic team have tested positive while in Japan. The games haven't even started and they're dealing with positive cases for athletes and coaches. Yeah, so in this episode, we're actually going to hear from young Japanese people. What do they think? How are they feeling about it? We'll speak to three、uh, young Japanese people. We'll also speak to a Japanese lawyer explaining the, the legal realities of a cancellation. Moeka Takashima is a 25 year old uni grad living in Tokyo. She's in the minority of people who want the games to go ahead. Personally, I want the Olympics to be held. I don't want、uh, athletes to lose their chance to show their skills to the world. Now that we've lost direct interaction between people from other countries, I wish for the Olympics to give us hope and make us feel like we are still closer than we think. I love the way Moeka there is really、um, channeling that Olympic spirit of bringing people closer together when we've all been spread apart for the last year. Yeah, well, her opinion. As we said, he's slightly in the minority there in Japan. Hiroki Kawai is a 23 year old student. He's got a different view, a little bit more in line with the majority there. He spoke to our producer, Liam Kennedy. We should have stopped Olympic Games、uh, before, I mean, a、uh, few, few months back. And we should have focused on how we prevent this COVID pandemic. But it's already within one month for the Olympics. So, anyway, it will be held. But I think. We should have stopped Olympic Games. Now we couldn't、uh, deal with COVID、uh, situation and、uh, the case is still increasing right now. Before the Olympic, we should focus i n g on our daily life. So, do you think、mm. if the Olympics happens, there will be more coronavirus cases after the Olympics or during the Olympics? Are you worried about that? Yes, it can be happen. So, those cases、uh, will be happen and not for the people from overseas,、uh, the people in my country, in Japan. So, there will be thousands of people will be mingled in some way. Uh, at the Olympic place. So, probably the case will be increasing. That was Hiroki Kawaii, a 23 year old student in Tokyo. The next person we're going to speak to is actually a guy called Yu, who I met at a party last March in Japan. We were at the snow. He was there with his mates in these brightly colored retro ski onesies, basically, the, the life of the party. So, I Skyped him to find out how he's feeling about the Olympics. <laughs> Do you think it's good or bad that the Olympics is going ahead in Japan?、Mm, it's a really difficult question, but、um, I think、uh, the Olympics should be held because、uh, we have to do it. If we cancel it,、uh, we'll have to pay a huge cancellation fee to the、mm. IOC. I don't want、uh, Japan to lose money because.、Uh, Already we lost a ton of money. I think that's enough. So, do you think if there was no cancellation fee,、mm-hmm. would that change things for you? Would you think, in that case, to stop the Olympics from going ahead? I'm、uh, worried about、uh, economics. A lot of Japanese people will take a domestic trip to watch、uh, Olympic Games. 
I think the economic will improve, but the risk is very high. Do your friends and your family, what do they think about the Olympics? Do they think it's good that the Olympics are happening or do most people think that it's bad? Uh, I have a friend of nurse and uh, Mm -hmm. she said, I can't understand why they want to do Olympic when cases are rising. But if they do, it must be no crowd. But um, my co-worker said uh, it would be great if the economy getting better during the Olympic Games, but uh, it would be meaningless if the cases increase after Olympic Games, then mm. lockdown economies are going down again. You know, my, uh, my wife is uh, pregnant, same as you. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, she has a ticket, diving ticket, ah. but uh, she wants to uh, cancel. What about you? Will you go to any of the events? Mm-hmm. I want to because, uh, you know, I'm a party animal. <laughs> no crowd. No party. So interesting from you there, apart from the the lack of good party vibes, he was mainly concerned about the economy and the cost of a cancellation. Yeah, well, there's one Japanese firm that's estimated it would cost around 20 billion Australian dollars, um, which is a lot of money, but, you know, not necessarily compared to the costs that could be associated with outbreaks, which I imagine is why Mm. You was hesitant. Let's go to the Japanese lawyer, Professor Yoshi Hayakawa. He's an international law specialist and academic at Rikyo University. Yoshi, does the Japanese government or the city of Tokyo have the power to cancel the games? Exactly speaking, the, the most important thing is the organizer of the Olympic Games is IOC. Tokyo or Japan, they will uh, never uh, be an organizer. From this viewpoint, they do not have uh, any right to cancel the uh, event itself. However, uh, Tokyo uh, has a contract with IOC to provide facilities. And uh, so if Tokyo decided to uh, not to provide facilities, it means uh, the event will not be held, cannot be held. Okay, so ultimately, it's actually the IOC that has the power to cancel the games. Was there any sort of pressure, do you know, um, applied by the Japanese government um, in the lead up to 2021 to cancel them? Uh, So the Tokyo government do not uh, want to uh, provide any pressure against the IOC. So if Tokyo City had decided not to supply the facilities and potentially force the IOC to not go ahead with the games, um, Mm -hmm. would that have been in breach of their contract and come at a very significant cost? Yes. So they have to uh, pay the gigantic amount of damaged money. If Tokyo decided to pull the plug and say, we're not going to supply these facilities, how much would they stand to lose? Uh, No one knows exactly. But, you know, uh, according to the, uh, the report... 100 billion Japanese yen has to be paid. Would it maybe have been easier if they had just called the games off completely? Would that have been less costly maybe for Tokyo? If the uh, IOC decided to cancel this event, Tokyo does not have to pay any money 
So it is the same situation,、uh, even if the time is、uh, 2020 or 2021. But if Tokyo decided to not to supply the facility、uh, to IOC last year, but I think the situation、uh, is not, that does not、uh, so much change, the perhaps you know, similar amount、uh, Tokyo has to pay. Will you go to any of the events?、Uh, I have no ticket, so that I'm watching on TV. Okay, so are we. <laughs> So, the law professor, Yoshi, just said that the cost of breaching the contract would be around 100 billion yen. So, that's about 1.2 billion Aussie dollars. You'd have to add that to the economic cost we mentioned earlier, around $20 billion. And you just have to add that to the fact that we're four weeks out from the Olympics. It's going to go ahead.、Mm-hmm. And fingers crossed, there doesn't end up being a COVID outbreak. I'm just also really happy that I know it's only 10,000 people at each event, but that some Japanese people. Could go because they only made that decision recently. So that would have been really unfair if they took the, the risk of the COVID outbreaks without even getting to enjoy it. Only the people you know, watching on TV would have been able to see it. Yeah, I suppose it's a middle ground for somewhere between having absolutely no vibe and having the biggest vibe. At least you've got some vibe. No Sydney 2000, unfortunately. No. <laughs> Tomorrow on the briefing, we're speaking to Daisy Turnbull, who is the former Prime Minister's daughter, and she's written a book called 50 Risks to Take with Your Kids. Listener.